Well, if you have your copy of God's Word and would like to open to the book of John, we're going to spend some time, uh, spend the bulk of our time there today looking through a variety of places. And we're not going to have scriptures on the screen quite as much as we usually do. And so let me encourage you to grab your copy of God's Word or take the Pew Bible in front of you. And uh, we'll be, uh, as I said, looking in the book of John. Before we dive into that, I want to just do a brief introduction. You'll, you may have noticed there was another person who's joined us on the worship team the last two weeks, um, and that is Jennifer Lloyd. She and her husband and their daughter moved here to Poolsville uh, a couple months ago, and God finally opened up a door for them to have a home, and, and so they're looking to make uh, Poolsville their new home. So as you get an opportunity to meet Jennifer, she's sitting over there, you can, uh, you can say hi, but I wanted you to just know who she was. Jennifer, thank you for uh, leading worship with us today. As you guys know, as we've been studying the book of John, we're actually, even though we're going to be in John, we're not back in the John study. We're still in this who's your one thing. But as you know, if, you, if you've read through the Gospels, you know that Jesus gathered around himself a handful of guys, 12 guys to be exact. And, and it's interesting, each of these guys seem to have a different role to play. At least they seem to express their calling, their gathering with Jesus differently. You see, there were some who were in what we might call an outer circle. They were kind of on the fringe. They weren't the closest to him. They weren't the middle ground. They were just sort of there. They were with him. Uh, they followed him. We might include guys like Thaddeus, Judas Iscariot, the other Judas, and Simon the Zealot. We don't know very much about those guys. They get mentioned, and Judas Iscariot is really the only one who has kind of an infamous reputation. And then you have, coming in from that outer circle, you have the, kind of the middle circle, the middle ground of guys, guys that we hear a little bit more about, but we still don't know a ton. And that would include guys like um, Philip and Thomas and Nathaniel and Matthew. And then the guys that we know most about are that inner circle, the four guys that are named most often close to Jesus, Peter, Andrew, James, and John. And when you think about it, we know more about Peter almost than any of them, right? Peter is, is the one who's got these great leadership abilities. He's very bold and brash and often, as we've said before, likes to stick his foot in his mouth, right? He speaks before he thinks, and yet God uses him in profound ways to lead the church after Jesus' ascension. And then there's James, one of the sons of Zebedee, one of the sons of thunder, his ministry after Jesus' ascension was actually very short. He was the first of the disciples to be martyred. And then there's his brother John, who was the longest living of all the disciples. He's the guy who wrote the, most likely wrote the book of John. He wrote the three letters of John later on in the New Testament. He also wrote down the, the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so you have John, who lived to the end of the first century, likely outliving all of the other disciples. And then you have Andrew. In the inner circle, we hear Andrew's voice the least of those four. Andrew is Peter's brother. Andrew is, uh, you know, he seems to live in Peter's shadow, and yet he seems to be perfectly okay with Peter being in the limelight, and he can take a back seat. And so today we're going to reflect on some of Andrew's ministry because this Andrew, we might even call him the soft-spoken evangelist. 
Andrew has a, a role to play in the, in, the, in the ministry and life of Jesus Christ. He has a role to play, but yet he is one of those guys that doesn't need to be out front. He's very happy being in the background, and he's very happy to serve in quiet ways. We're going to look at three different places in the book of John where we get to see Andrew in action. And I hope as we go through this, we'll get to make some observation about what Andrew is doing and how he is serving, how he is acting at this sort of, as this sort of soft-spoken evangelist. So if you want to open your Bibles to John chapter 1, we're going to begin there. And as I said, we won't have the scriptures on the screens, but we'll, we'll flip through. And so we're going to begin where, uh, where, where Brian read a little bit earlier, John chapter 1, starting around verse 40. But in this first little episode in, in Andrew's life, one of the things we get to see is that Andrew saw the value of individual people. Andrew saw the value of individual people. We've, we've already talked about the fact that here in Jesus' disciples, we've got at least two sets of brothers, Peter and Andrew, and James and John. We don't really get to know much about their dynamic as siblings, but you know, if you've got a sibling, you know that sibling rivalries can have deep impact in our lives. Just uh, my brother and I, we used to fight like cats and dogs, so much so that my mom had to go to extensive measures to get us to stop. But we, you know, siblings are, are we see that throughout Scripture. In fact, in the, the very first set of siblings had such a deep rivalry that it ended in the death of one of them. I'm grateful that my brother and I never got to that point. But Cain and Abel in Genesis chapter 4, that was a deadly rivalry. You also see in, in Jacob and Esau, um, their, their rivalry lasted decades. We see in Joseph and 10 of his brothers in the book of Genesis also, they had this massive rivalry that ended up in Joseph being thrown into a pit and then sold into slavery, left for dead, and hoped that they would never see him again. And then you also have later on in, in the Old Testament, you have the rivalry between Absalom and Amnon, this bitter conflict between these two brothers that really drove the family apart. If you have a sibling, you know that some of those disagreements can be bitter and are difficult to get through. And some of them can be so entrenched that they become the new norm. As I said, I don't know if Andrew and Peter had that kind of a relationship. But when it comes to them, we certainly notice that any rivalry that may have been there, any limelight that Peter had versus Andrew, didn't stop Andrew from introducing Peter to Jesus. Look at what it says again in verse 40, John chapter 1. It says, One of the two who heard John speak followed Jesus and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. I mean, you can even see that limelight versus Simon Peter is more well known than Andrew. And yet, John is helping us see that it was Andrew who brought him to him. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. And brought him, Peter, to Jesus. And Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. You see, Andrew seemed to understand the value of what he witnessed in Jesus. He seemed to understand the value of what was there. And he knew that Peter needed what Jesus had to offer. He knew that Peter needed to know the Messiah. But imagine what would have happened if Andrew said, no, 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 Peter's too bold. He's too brash. He's too egotistical for Jesus. He would never 
follow Jesus? What would have happened if Andrew said, no, 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 I'm not going to give him that chance? Peter ended up leading the church in the New Testament, in the book of Acts. He ended up leading over 3,000 people to Christ in one day. Peter ended up writing two books that are in our New Testament. So if Andrew hadn't done his job, we might not have the same New Testament that we have today. Now, God in his sovereignty would have worked any number of ways to make sure that Peter was in the role he had to play. You see, the family of God and the scriptures we study would have been drastically different if Peter hadn't come to faith. And as we're praying this month about the one that God is leading us to reach with the gospel, we may feel like it's not a big deal. We may feel like, oh, God will send someone else. God, would, would you send, let someone else talk to my one. But we then don't get the joy of being obedient to what God is calling us to, obedient to share the gospel in our homes, among our families, even with the siblings or children with, with whom we have disagreements. I'm so grateful when I hear stories of, of, of you guys, the way that you do family devotions, the way that you let the gospel be seen in your homes. Because as parents, our first assignment, our first ones, if you will, are those ones that we have given birth to, those ones that call our home their home, those ones that God has called us to raise. We get to be obedient to sharing the gospel there. We get to be obedient uh, being a witness to that neighbor or classmate or coworker. We get to be obedient like Andrew was, even when ignoring that tug of the Holy Spirit would be so much easier than facing the conflict that might ensue when you present the gospel to that person. Maybe you, like me, resemble the remark of being a soft-spoken evangelist or even a timid witness. I was telling the high schoolers this morning in class, it scares me sometimes to share the gospel one-on-one with someone that I know. I don't know why it is. I, it's, as I said in the midweek letter, it's, it's probably a fear of man that I need to repent of. But what happens if we don't? But you know what? For those of us who might be soft-spoken evangelists, we're in good company. Johnny Hunt tells a story about the guy who led D.L. Moody to Christ. D.L. Moody was a huge evangelist in the Midwest here and uh, started Moody Bible Institute. But let me tell you a little bit about the guy that led him to faith. We've never heard, most of us have never heard of Edward Kimball. He was a Sunday school teacher who happened to lead D.L. Moody to Christ. Edward went to a Boston shoe store where the 18-year-old Moody was working and cornered him in a stockroom and introduced him to Christ. But let me tell you a little bit more about what he says. Kimball was anything but bold. He was timid and soft-spoken. He went into the store frightened, trembling, and unaware of whether he had the courage to confront this young man with the gospel. Moody, on the other hand, was crude and obviously illiterate. And Kimball trembled in his boots as he recalled the incident. Moody Moody had begun to attend his Sunday school class, and Moody was totally untaught and ignorant about the Bible. And Kimball said, I decided to speak to Moody about Christ and about his soul. And I started downtown to Holton's shoe store. And when I was nearly there, I began to wonder whether I ought to go and go just then during business hours. And I thought maybe my mission might embarrass the boy. That, I, that when I went, the other clerks might ask who I was, and when they learned, might taunt Moody 
and ask if I was trying to make a good boy out of him. And while I was pondering over it all, I passed by the store without noticing it. And then when I found I had gone by the door, I determined to make a dash for it and have it over with at once. So Kimball found Moody in the stockroom, spoke, spoke to him with, quote, limping words. Later, Edward said, I never could remember what I said, something about Christ and his love, and that was all. And he admitted that it was a weak appeal. But Moody, then and there, gave his heart to Christ. Tens of thousands have testified that they came to Christ under Moody's ministry. Moody led C.T. Studd, the great pioneer missionary, and William Chapman, who himself became a well-known evangelist, to Christ. Who knows? Maybe your one and maybe my one is the next D.L. Moody or the next Billy Graham or the next George Whitfield or the next Marilyn Laszlo who brought the gospel to Papua New Guinea. Who knows? Maybe that one that God is laying on our heart is not the next person who's going to make a huge impact, the next Peter. So Andrew saw the value of individual people, even if the individual was his brother in whose shadow he would remain for many years. The shadow and the sibling relationship could not prevent him from bringing his brother to Christ. But a bit later, we get to see when, when some people were scoffing at the cost of feeding so many people, Andrew saw the potential of insignificant gifts. Turn in your Bibles to the right to, to John chapter 6. This is a familiar passage. In fact, we studied it several weeks ago as we've been going through our, 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 our study in the Gospel of John. But I want us to, let me, let's just go back and look at this. And as we do this, I want you to see what Andrew's role is in this episode. And let's start in verse 1. We get a little context here. After this, Jesus went to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. And Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. And then let's skip down to verse 5. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing a large crowd that was coming toward him, Jesus said, notice who he says this to. He says to Philip, where are we going to buy bread so that these people may eat? And he said this to test him, for he knew what he would do. And then verse 7, Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little and even though Jesus, was, Jesus addressed the initial question to, to Philip, Andrew observes the potential of a small gift that might be able to make a difference. And he speaks up. Look at verse 8 and 9. One of the disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, there again you have that limelight and background, right? Andrew can't even stand on his own. He's got to be known as Simon Peter's brother. Andrew said to him, there is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they among so many? Just as there are times when I think we may be tempted to overlook the one person that Jesus may be calling us to reach, so too we may be tempted to feel like our gift is just not good enough for God to use, that our gift, our ability is not good enough for God to be able to put into action. But we have to remember that God is the God of making miraculous things happen out of insignificant things. You know, we use that phrase, make a mountain out of a molehill. Well, God is the God of making beautiful, miraculous mountains out of insignificant molehills. Not in the bad way, but in a good way. You get what I mean. 
You may not feel like you have gifts of teaching or musical abilities or leadership skills, but God has given you gifts and abilities. And I believe he can use us if we let them be available to him. It might be sitting with, you know, assisting with one of the classes and sitting with that student who just needs a little bit of extra care. It might be greeting people and making them feel welcome. Maybe you've got the gift of gab, but you don't feel like you can do much else. Well, hey, there's a lot of gabbing that can happen at the front door on people on the way in and out. Maybe you've got that math prowess. You think God can't use that gift anywhere. Well, yeah, he can. There are tellers who could always use a few people to help out. Or maybe your sense of style and organizational skills could be put to good use at the thrift shop. I bet there are a few folks who would love to say, yeah, come on over. There's an amen up here, yes. Actually, this came from the thrift shop because somebody decided that would look good on me. So I don't know, you you can tell me afterwards. Or maybe your love for the outdoors, your love for camping, might be able to be paired with God's call to go to the Middle East and go camping for a week and share the gospel with some people who might want to gather around a campfire with you. No way? (laughs) Pray about it. We'll see what God does. (laughs) But who knows what God would do if we just take a little bit of time to make our gift available, just like that boy's loaves and fishes. See, he, he... I don't know what the boy was thinking, but he gave it to Andrew. And Andrew's like, here, Jesus, do what you can with this. It's not so much about the size or strength of the gift as it is about trusting God to use the gift as he wills. This boy presented the gift and Andrew made it available to Jesus. And Jesus then fed over 5,000 people with that little lunch. But there's one final observation I think we can make about Andrew, and that is that he understood the grace of God is for outsiders also. Turn in your Bibles to John chapter 12. A couple more chapters to the right. We're going to start in verse 20. John chapter 12. You see... um, about a week before Jesus went to the cross, he, was, he had gone, you know, about the triumphal entry, Palm Sunday. He had gone into town. There's this huge throng of people that are following him. All these people want to talk to him. There's religious leaders who want to ask him questions. There's common Jews who want to try to understand, what are you doing? When are you going to rule? When are you going to take charge? And while Jesus came to save, as Matthew tells us, his people from their sin, there were some Greeks or some Gentiles, some non-Jewish people who wanted an audience with Jesus. In John chapter, 20, chapter 12, verses 20 to 22, it says, Now there were among those who went to worship, went up to worship at the feast, were some Greeks. And so these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. And Philip went and told Andrew, and Andrew and Philip, went and told Jesus. Now, here's the thing. Rather than running interference, you know, there's always people who want to be around the famous person, right? If you've ever been around someone who's got a little bit of notoriety, you know that they've got some bodyguards. Not just anybody can go visit the president, right? He's got to get through the security folks. Sometimes some of the disciples, if you've watched any of the Chosen series, some of the disciples are actually acting like that. In fact, we see that when they're trying to prevent children from coming to Jesus. And yet, Andrew and Philip, 
Look at the idea here with that, that these outsiders, these non-Jewish people want to get to know Jesus. They want to spend a few minutes with him. And so they say, yeah, come on, let, let me introduce Jesus. Let me bring it up to his attention. And so Jesus responds, and as I read this, it seems like a bit of an odd response, but let's, and I want to encourage you, if it feels odd to you, take some time to meditate on the passage that we're about to read this afternoon. But John 12, 23 to 26, Jesus answered them and he says, the hour has come for the son of man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies... It bears much fruit. Whoever loses his, loves his life, rather, whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me and where, and where I am, and there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. It almost seems as though Jesus kind of ignores this whole thing with the Gentiles. But notice what Jesus says. He says, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And it almost makes me wonder that, you know, there were, although the initial followers were Jewish, he may be giving them some indication that his salvation is not limited to Jewish people. He may be saying, hey, now that everybody is coming, I'm grateful they're here. But here's what's going to happen. A grain of wheat is going to fall and die, and it's going to bear much fruit. And now, instead of just bearing fruit in Israel, it's going to bear fruit among all the Gentiles. And those of you guys who, don't, who like me, don't have a Jewish background, aren't you grateful that salvation was not limited to them? And so many people today feel that the message of the gospel is only for Americans. Oh, it's only for Caucasians. It's only for people who've grown up with a Christian background. Oh, that's for you guys. But I actually heard recently that if we were to take and paint a picture of one person and this one person represented the average Christian around the world, you know what that one person would look like? A 30-something African woman. A 30-something. It's not a religion. It's not a faith for Caucasian people. It's not a faith for North Americans. It's a faith for everybody. And the average Christian worldwide would be represented by an African young woman. What a joy it is to see that Andrew and Peter, Andrew and Philip rather, could bring some outsiders to Jesus and let them know that the gospel is for them too. So I want to encourage us, encourage you, if you come from a tradition of Buddhism or Hinduism or Islam or Judaism or secular humanism or atheism or some other ism that we could come up with, the gospel is for you. If you come from North America or South America, Europe, Australia, Asia, Africa, or the islands, the gospel is for you. The point is that when Jesus went to the cross, he did so in order to atone for the sins of all of those who would believe. So if you don't yet believe, will you believe? Put aside your faith, put aside your tradition, put aside all those questions you might have and come before Jesus Christ and ask for faith to believe. And I would guess that if you and I were standing outside of the circle of Jesus' initial followers, Andrew might come over, tug on our arm and say, hey, you come meet Jesus. 
So over the last month, we've been considering the question, who's your one? Who's that one that's outside of the circle of faith that needs to come in and see Jesus? We've been asking God to work in the life of this one person in our lives, drawing them out of their sin and into salvation. We've been reflecting on ways that we can be God's herald, his ambassador to this one person. And we've been doing this because, as we saw in the first week, that Jesus called us to be his disciples. And disciples begin to emulate the one they're following. So we get to emulate Jesus Christ. We get to begin to talk and walk and think like him. And as we share the good news of the kingdom with others. You see, ultimately, as his disciples, we are called to make disciples. We're not called to just grow in our own knowledge of Jesus Christ and take it all in for us. Oh, I love that. Let me just get more Bible study. Let me just get more of this. And you guys, you can have whatever you're going to have. No, 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 no. This is something for everyone. We're called to make disciples. But in the second week, we reflected on the importance of bringing people, not just inviting them. Bringing people in. I'm so grateful for some of you guys who brought folks yesterday. I realized we didn't really share the gospel. But we got to put the gospel on display as we made meals together, as we engaged in conversations, as we danced around with silly music, putting, pouring uh, soy and rice and whatever else we were putting in those bags. Exposing people to the, to the household of faith. We also saw the importance that we have of reaching even one. What is one among the, the four or five billion that don't know? Well, that one is important. And finally, today we've considered the example of Andrew, who even though he may have been in the background, made a big difference in the kingdom of God. So we're done. We're at the end of this little series. We're not going to come back to that. I may mention it here and there over the next year. I want to encourage you to keep praying because we're not through with the 30 days of praying for the one. We're on about day uh, 21. But let me encourage you to keep praying for that one. And if you want those who are coming on Wednesday nights to pray, write down their name, drop it in the offering box, and we'll be happy to pray for them. But we get that, that mission is still before us to pray, to reach, to bring, to share. Jesus went to the cross so that your one could come to salvation. He went to the cross for your one. Earlier this year, Matthew West released a song that, it's in, that was entitled, Me on Your Mind. And I, I got to tell you, I have some theological questions about this, but I want you to understand what he's saying. Let me read a few of the lyrics to you. The song goes like this. He says, I've read the words in red. How you leave the 99 to find the one missing feels like that was written with me on your mind. And the prodigal son who ran, leaving his home behind, the part where the father came running to meet him. Did you say that with me on your mind? And then the chorus goes, who am I that the king of the world would give one single thought about my broken heart? Who am I that the God of all grace wipes the tears from my face and says, come as you are? You paid the price. You took the cross. You gave your life. You did it all with me on your mind. 
I think it's important that we recognize the message of the gospel, the ramifications of the cross is fit for you and me, for your one and my one. The message of the gospel is available to them. Jesus went to the cross so that you and I could repent of our sin and turn and trust in him so that we could be like him in how we act so that we could represent him well here in anticipation of him coming back. And won't that be a glorious day when we come back and he gets to see your one and my one and your one and your one and everybody's one and who was outside of the kingdom of God a month ago is now inside the kingdom and that kingdom is greater and manifesting itself in beautiful ways. So who's your one that doesn't yet know the gospel is for him or for her? And what will you and I do to help them understand the gospel is for them? Let's pray. God, we do thank you so much for the example of Andrew. Thank you for his willingness to, to share the gospel, to introduce Jesus to his brother. God, help us to have that same kind of boldness, to understand the importance of the individual that you're calling us to. God, I pray that you'd help us to understand the importance of, of even what feels like insignificant gifts. We may feel like we don't have a lot to offer, but God, we know that you can do marvelous things. And God, help us to reach to people who may feel like the gospel is not for them. That person who feels like they've sinned too much, that, that no amount of forgiveness can cover the sin that they've committed, who feels like their ethnic and racial background prevents them from coming to know Jesus as Savior. God, I pray that you'd help us to bridge those gaps and help them to see that you came to pay for their sin. Jesus, thank you for calling us into this beautiful relationship with you. Help us to honor you as we seek to draw more people into your kingdom for your glory. We ask this in Jesus' name.